Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear. Lisa Rubin. Katie Harms. Hello there. I feel like we just saw each other a mere 24 hours ago, which we did because we put together another podcast in the world of podcast recording. We can, and Zoom, we have this whole platform to be able to put out these podcasts just about anytime we want to. You're right. We do. And And this one is very special to us. Would you not say? Yes, it is very special to us. And I was very excited to do this podcast. So how about you introduce our guests? So our guests today are our daughters, our daughters who have had children recently. And one of Katie's daughters has two girls that are a little older. And we are going to talk all about being moms, pregnant, working moms, all of the above. And the lovely thing about tapping into this resource is it's so far away from what you and I have done being working moms that there's so much that's changed, but I'm sure a lot that's not changed. And it'll just be really enjoyable to hear perspectives and share that with our listeners. So let's, from my oldest, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm introducing myself. Uh, My name is Laura Farouk. I'm Katie's oldest daughter. And as Lisa mentioned, I have two daughters. They are three and five years old. And you are a full-time? Full-time working mom in medical sales. Fantastic. And following up from you is? (laughs) I'm guessing that's me. So I'm Danielle Ringwelski. I'm Katie's middle daughter. There's a third, but she is not here as she doesn't have kids. So I have a seven-month-old son, Oren, and I'm a full-time working mom. I work for a company called Salo. I'm in a sales role, so I do business development. I actually, mom, do you want to describe what I do? Oh, gosh, no. Don't make me do it. That's another (laughs) podcast, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It was an idea of parents who describe what their adult children do. Anyways, I work with organizations when they need human resources consulting. So at Salo, we do finance, accounting, and human resources. So I get to play matchmaker with our awesome consultants and companies. So it's a very fun job. I'm going to listen to this a hundred times so I can get it ingrained in my head. And when people ask me, I can say it back to them really quickly. Mom, Danielle's a connector. Well, that I know. I'm just saying you're a connector. <laughs> Apple you tree. Think. Yeah. We'll work on it. Lisa's like, move it along, move it along. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm listening. I would just put a plug in here for Roshini to say that your elevator speech changes all the time. It certainly does, except she hates elevator. She I know, elevator. but everyone else can relate to that. So exactly. that term anyway. It's so, so true. Yeah. She's a fantastic connector. All right. And Lisa, your wonderful daughter, Shelby. And Shelby, you give us the 411. I'm Shelby Epstein. I have a seven-month-old daughter who is my pride and joy. And I am a full-time working mom uh, as a physician assistant at North Memorial Emergency Department during COVID. I want to give you a plug right off the bat because you just started an Instagram page that talk about, talk about that. With everything that's been going on the past two years, I feel like there is a mix of misinformation or lack of education on when to seek emergency care or what and when you can utilize your own primary doctor or clinic as well as urgent cares. And so I have started a Instagram account to provide education and provide some tips and tricks you can use at home to avoid going to urgent care or the ER. Uh, It's called your urgent PAC is the Instagram handle. And I'd love for you to follow along. And PAC, what does the C stand for? I know PA stands for physician's assistant. Correct. The C stands for certified. So I'm a board certified physician assistant. Fantastic. Well, I'm following you. And thank you. I am. Hopefully you like what I have to say so far. I think what you have to say is fantastic. So, all right, let's, let's get right into it because you commented on it a little bit earlier. You two, Danielle and Shelby went through pregnancy full on during COVID from the people I see now, they they're, they're like, did you even go through pregnancy? I'm confused. 
Yep. Like, did you just pop out a kid? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fake fake pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Danielle, did you have to go out and see anybody while you were pregnant? Were there any times where you actually had to get dressed once you were showing? Not once I was showing. I'm trying to think. No, I, there was one when I, before I was showing and I was so sick and it was awful. And I remember my pants were so tight and, you know, I didn't have different clothes and I had to sit through an in-person interview thinking I'm going to throw up. I, you know, this whole situation, but no, we went to California and visited my parents in February and I was definitely showing. And I remember how strange it was because it was the first time. So everything was outdoors, you know, eating, we were just out and about more than we had been here in Minnesota. And I remember being so weirded out. It was so strange for people to be commenting or just random people to say, Oh, congratulations. And it felt so weird for some reason, because it hadn't happened the whole time. You know, the whole pregnancy, I had just been floating head and nobody knew. So no, that was the first time. And it wasn't even for work. It was just personal. And Shelby, Shelby, how about you? Oh, I saw people every day given what I do. Uh, but thanks to, thanks to scrubs, uh, a lot of things are, a lot is hidden, uh, for most of the time. There did come a point though, where, so I'm someone that likes to wear scrub pants, but I like to wear like a zippy top or something. Cause I find the scrub tops to be cumbersome and in my way. So there came a point where I had a little belly, which is not per normal and, I had patients start commenting, which they don't usually enter into the personal space, but that's all they wanted to talk about. And I was like, well, you're here to see me. So let's talk about you. But it was a very awkward transition when you're like starting to grow. And and then all of a sudden patients start treating you differently uh, as a pregnant woman than they do when you're not pregnant. And it's a very interesting sociology study. But they're nicer to you. They are nicer to you. They treat you very differently and pain control all of a sudden becomes like a non-issue, which is very interesting. Well, and also then bringing that back to COVID, I bet there was, there was depth. People were looking for something to be happy about, right? That is true. What's going on in the world. And people had been enclosed and even in California where restaurants, when you got there, Danielle had just opened up and I think outdoors, nothing indoors was open. So to actually see people and, and be able to experience life in a different way probably makes such a difference. Laura, how about you? What did you find? You weren't pregnant through COVID, but what did you find in your working? Did you go in a lot? You went in a lot. You, you I had went to in a lot in during COVID. Yeah. You know, I, a lot of my business is spent doing you know, coffees or in between surgeries and things like that. Um, just chit chatting and chumming it up with people, which was not happening during COVID. So it was like, I'd go in right before my case would start and then come home. But for me, the biggest challenge of COVID just with a family, especially in the beginning, when there was all that concern of like, your mail is contaminated, leave it outside for two days, whatever was what do I bring so that I can be successful during case support, but not have COVID all over my backpack, you know, again, when we were so worried. And then I don't know, Shelby, if you went through this, but I would get home and I would go through the garage and go straight to the laundry room and like strip down and then go straight to the shower, just because it was like such a concern back then of what you were contaminated with. So that was like, that was my biggest challenge just with a family and bringing it home. And, you know, I had to have conversations with my husband about like when I get it, not if, but when, right. And Shelby, again, I don't know if you had these conversations just being in a hospital, especially in your line of work, I'm more in cardiology, but you know, it was like, what do you do with the family? Where do you go? Where do you quarantine? What do you do? It's a, it was a very weird, weird thing being in the medical industry. There was a period of time where my husband was working from home because everyone was working from home that didn't have to go in. And similar to you, you know, you come home and you feel like you're a big germ walking around and I would strip down in my garage initially. Yeah. So I'd walk into the house, just my bra and underwear. And he'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is my new look. Don't you like it? Um, and he'd be like, yes, but I'm really confused why you're doing that. And to this day, it actually became kind of routine. I don't necessarily strip down in the garage anymore. I make it into the front door, but I still don all or take all my stuff off and go shower immediately and like, won't go grab my child or anything like that. I'm like, don't touch me. But he, he was like terrified of me initially when I would come home be like, do I, do we, can we sleep in the same bed? Like, can I, can I be around you? Like, what is this thing? And then being pregnant, you know, there's just 
extra layer of, well, now what, Yeah. you know, who's, what happens now and who can we be around and who can you not be around? And are you actually safe to go to work? And should you, should you be there? I don't know. Uh, it was a very confusing time. Well, and adding to being pregnant during COVID, the real discussion on whether you should get vaccinated or not. And, you know, we stay away from politics, but we are also both very scientific families and we follow the science. So, you know, what was right for all of us and all of you, those discussions were happening. So they were happening with every single pregnant woman everywhere, right? And They're still happening. Exactly. And getting through that and making those decisions, it's a very real thing. And I think it's going to be with us a very long time. Did you find people intrusive on talking to you about that? Or were they respectful of decisions? For me, it was a very intrusive question. I think more as a, if she's, what is she doing? Cause then I'll do it. Um, having my background that I do war is if I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it either. Uh, and that even happened in the workplace. I'd, I'd have nurses or physicians that aren't pregnant either because they've already had kids or they're not yet leaning on me. And I'm like, I don't have any answers at the beginning. And as I kind of did my own research, I came to my own conclusions based on evidence and research and those types of things. But I felt it to be very intrusive, almost like you, you know, you're never supposed to ask a woman if she's pregnant. It became that kind of question. Well, and not to like fully tie it away from COVID, but I just feel like being pregnant is like a very intrusive thing for people anyways, you know, like you might not have experienced it as much just because like Danielle, you didn't go out as much and maybe more you shall be, but just so many people like running to touch my belly and I'm not a toucher. I'm not a hugger. I, what? not me, <laughs> but so many people and not even just like physical intrusion, but so many people are just commenting on like, well, are you going to breastfeed? And are you going to, it's just such an intrusive thing that, I mean, it's, it's no surprise to me that people are, you know, doing it with COVID as well, because people can't seem to help themselves. I don't know why, but they can't. I don't know what it is about pregnancy, but pe- like you're saying, like yeah. all of a sudden be- everyone's your best friend. They want to know everything about everything you're going to do. And then they're going to pass their own opinion about it, whether you ask for it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think even we started with the COVID questions and then Laura saying pregnancy in general, but even like taking it more global than that of talking about if you are going to have kids, are you having kids? When are you having kids? Are you having a second kid? We've talked at length about this. I have very strong opinions on it, but it's just very interesting. Those you know, people don't have bad intentions, but how those questions can come off and could they be, you know, triggering a sore spot or, you know, those types of things where I, you know, I know, Laura, you've experienced this, Shelby, I don't know if you're experiencing it already of like, okay, when, you know, when are you going to give her a sibling and those kinds of questions, which, you know, for me, I have just started being very honest saying, you know, I don't know, we actually struggled to have Oren. And so we will see what the future brings just to be very transparent about those things, not to totally derail the topic. But I think, you know, it's oftentimes people just smile like, Oh, I don't know when really it's like that. That's an intrusive question. We have no idea what people are struggling with dealing with, you know, you could be asking a new mom that who is struggling with postpartum anxiety or depression, and they might be you know, lose it because of that question. So I think it's very interesting. Just, I think people think that they're making a connection with you and really there are other things probably to chat about, but going back to the COVID question, everyone asked people I knew people I didn't, are you getting vaccinated? Are you, you know, what's your plan? Can your husband be there? All of the questions they wanted to know. And some of it I'm sure is just curiosity because being pregnant during a pandemic looks very different in terms of your appointments and your partner, if you have one, what, how they can be involved, that kind of a thing. But it was interesting, those questions. And that's gotta be difficult. And I have to tell you, I'm sure I'm guilty of a lot of those questions with people who Mm -hmm. were not my family. And I have learned so much, even from you all going through what, what you're going through. That's how we learn. So I think it's a wonderful thing to bring up. I wonder though, too, if it happens more to women at work with working colleagues, like what would even be to get in the man versus woman, but it's a very real thing. What would be something that somebody would ask a man? Are you having a vasectomy after you have your children? I mean, right. that's such a good point. Yes. That's a very good point. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the things that really stands out to me is what is that dialogue amongst your colleagues and 
keeping yourself in a professional place when it will tend to dip into that personal interaction because you're visibly pregnant or have just had a child or whatnot. Funny you bring that up about male conversations because I remember Ben had gone back to the office like pretty quickly after Audrey was born and a couple weeks into it, he came home and had this smirk on his face. And I was like, what's so funny? And he was like, I was asked today how parenting is going. And I was like, oh, and how did you answer? He's like, I said, I don't know. (laughs) And I was like, well, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, well, I realized I had never sat to think about it because I guess it hasn't really changed that much because I'm just going to work and then I come home. And then I'm really excited to see that I have a little girl at home that I get to come home to and she's smiley and happy and loves me. But I guess I never really stopped to think about it. So I just said, I don't know. And my response to that question would have been so different mm-hmm. and is so different to this day. So that just you bringing that up about, you know, what, what are the male dialogues versus the female dialogues <laughs> um, is very real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for any of you, did you have any of your male colleagues or people that you do business with or male friends ask you some unusual questions or want to know about your pregnancy or anything, or did they stay pretty quiet about it? And it was really more female oriented. I would say a mix of both. You know, I, I have almost an equal mix of men and women on my team at work, which is actually really nice. Everyone else is a parent, which is nice just from a support standpoint. I think I would say both, both men and women. And I think, you know, some of the questions are unintentionally intrusive, but others I'll speak out of both sides of my mouth a little bit. One thing that I have really loved in this COVID world is that there isn't, you know, work-life balance. We have work and we have life. I actually kind of like this blend of, okay, these things kind of intermix. It's different for me. I have a job that I can work remote. I can do things in the evenings, different from having to go into the emergency room and go in to a case, but I think it's allowed, you know, my, my work is a lot of coffees and lunches and networking and getting to know people and building relationships. And I actually like the blend of, I think we've been able to really get to know people on a different level because we're in their homes. We're having different conversations. You know, we're talking about, I actually, we have Oren home this week and I had to do a client meeting and he was with me for a little bit of it because TJ and I had competing meetings and that's just what had to happen. And she was so gracious about it and it was fun. And she knew I was pregnant and, you know, kind of threaded through. So a part of it, I like, I like that personal connection and being able to talk about those things. Yeah. So I'm not really answering your question, but I would say it was a mix. I think equally men and women were both interested in the pregnancy experience and, you know, just asking certain things or even asking like, are you seeing people? Are you quarantining? What's happening? You know, those types of questions that I think are more prominent when you're pregnant or visibly have some kind of health thing that you're managing. I think tons of people have, I don't know if pregnancy is still considered a pre-existing condition with COVID, but plenty of people have things they're managing. It's just pregnancy is visible. So people can ask about it. Very true. Laura, what did you find when you were pregnant with either of the girls? You know, mine was a mix across the board from like a a male manager who told me I had to take a whole day off of work for a Friday, 3 p.m. appointment to doctors like refusing to let me do anything (laughs) to people standing next to me when I was going to keel over because I wanted to throw up. So mine was a huge mix, but from like a male, female, I mean, you know, women just seem to want to know more like how many weeks along are you, you know, that kind of a thing where men, you can just tell the, the men that let love pregnant people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like uncle Troy just loves when women are pregnant or people are pregnant. And you know, you could just tell those people who just like gravitate towards pregnant people, male or female. So I was across the board. I think what's interesting to me when you think back on it too, is I think the natural inclination is for people to go to the next thing or to try to get to know you fairly fast. So one of the questions I find interesting, Laura, you get it is, where are you going to have any more? All the time. And you know what? Even when you tell people, no, it's not, and you politely say, no, we're done. And then they're like, well, you never know. And then I have to go to, it is medically impossible for us to have children. And then people kind of are like, 
oh, like, why did I push it? And you know what? You're right. Why did you push it? There's no reason. You know, I'm happy with my family of four. <laughs> so if anybody's taking anything away from this podcast, it's maybe what not to say when you're in those working situations. <laughs> what would you rather hear from people? Well, let's move. You know, you both went through different things with, with wardrobe and trying to figure that out. I think that was a mix of trying to figure out not so much you shall be having to go in and keep the component of scrubs. And you talked about that and you, Laura, obviously Danielle trying to figure out a pregnancy wardrobe from, you know, yeah, from, (laughs) from breast up basically, but let's talk about the changes that your body went through and trying to keep, trying to keep yourself moving in the right direction to go to work and keep that job and, and advance through your pregnancy. What, what stands out to you as you look back on it? How tired I looked. <laughs> Fatigue is real. Yeah. <laughs> I think on like a, a humorous, but a very real level, like the change in your top half um, is astounding um, yeah. to the point that like even, I mean, I don't, like I said, I didn't wear scrub tops, but I wore these, you know, zippered sweatshirts and like it got to the point that I couldn't zip my sweatshirt not around my waist because I was expecting that but around my breast area and then like having to find a bra that works for you okay let's keeps... stop with the whole bra thing we're gonna have a whole bra conversation <laughs> we are <laughs> yes we are okay. girls well, it's, it was it was really I was not expecting how difficult it was to find a bra that fit that I could wear, uh, for more than a couple of weeks because then my boobs changed again. Um, and that was like appropriate for whatever dress you were going to be wearing in whatever circumstance, right? Like I had the luxury, at least for, for me that it didn't really matter necessarily what bra I was wearing to work, but then I tried to go put on like a nice blouse cause I wanted to wear something else. And I'd be like, this doesn't work. And then my shirts wouldn't fit. It was just whole thing was a disaster. And then I leaned on my mom. <laughs> and, yeah. And what, and Shelby, what did we go do together that I insisted upon? It was quite the day together. Um, we went to, <laughs> we went to Allure at the Galleria, which I strongly recommend for any pregnant woman, but actually for any woman who actually needs a really good bra fitting, whether you consider yourself to be small chested or large chested, um, and I tried on like 20 different bras and it was at first my worst nightmare. And then we found one that I actually like put on and I was like, oh, this is like when the shoe fits. Um, and it was life-changing. And then they can take any bra and change it into a nursing bra for a very small fee. $15. And that, and that was incredible. That is incredible. Cause I was going to say when that happened to me with my boobs, I just went straight to a nursing bra. So I was like six months pregnant wearing a nursing bra. Cause they're meant to kind of expand and contract with your expansion and contraction. But that is an awesome idea. It yes. was like, it was great. You know that Danielle? No, but I, mine was a little different. I, my boobs definitely got bigger during pregnancy, but not crazy bigger. They got bigger once I had orange. So then they kind of came in. So I was still, you know, I did go directly to nursing bras. I feel like if anybody, this is probably not the platform, but if anybody needs opinions on nursing bras, I think I have tried all the popular ones at this point. And I have reviews on all of them. So what's your, what's your favorite nursing bra? Guys, I want to like create nursing bras now because I have favorites, but they have to be modified. So there's a brand called Kindred Bravely. And they have good like little tank tops. Shelby, I don't know if you know about them. They have um, tank tops that I use for pajamas. They have a good nursing pumping bra because I, my pet peeve is having to switch your bra to pump. Also, that's something where it's like the most ridiculous thing in the world is to have to get totally naked and put on something else to pump. I'm not doing it. So nursing and pumping bras, they have a good one, but it's a little, the design could be better. So you have to put like pads in it, but that's my favorite so far because it's very comfortable and you can do both nurse and pump. So I don't have to wear a real bra per se to work. I have found there's a company called sweat milk, um, that makes, um, a sports bra. That's a nursing bra 
and also a hands-free pumping bra. <laughs> so that's what I've been wearing. Yes. So that is like truly the only thing I wear unless I'm leaving my house or not going to work. And they there's, have done a pretty good job. There's one more brand. It's called Davin and Adley. I don't know if you've seen that, that those are like pretty bras that are also nursing and pumping. So that's like, okay, I'm wearing a nicer top or something where I want to feel a little more sexy, a little more cute that it has lace on it. It's very cute. I'm not wearing it right now. Otherwise I'd show you. <laughs> I would. It's That's a safe fantastic. space. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a safe space. Exactly. Although it is the internet being recorded. <laughs> I mean, at this point, the amount of people that I've seen my boobs kind of is what it is. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Well, when you didn't have them and then you all have a sudden have them, then it's an entirely different feeling, right? With all of your clothing. So what have you done now to transition clothing? Because both of you have seven months old. Laura, you've you've come in, you know, you have your own style that's worked for you. I don't think any of you that I know of really bought maternity wear per I se. Did. I did. I, that was, that was something that I had to do, even just being on zoom calls. It fits better. Like when your belly gets so big, when you buy something that's actually for maternity, I don't like a lot of the, like the little ties and all of that kind of stuff, but even just basic, that was the best thing I did was to just get some basics for under things for under blazers, for under sweaters, that type of thing. And I did, I think it was, I was probably seven and a half months pregnant. And I finally got to a point where I was like, nobody's seeing me, but I just want to wear jeans. I'm so sick of wearing yoga pants, which I did not see that coming. So then I got maternity jeans and I think I wore them three times, but it still just made me feel like I was put together for a second. A little bit of retail therapy in another manner. Yeah. And to answer your question of what I've done afterwards is I did go through and I put everything that doesn't fit in bins just because that was, I mean, my closet was being taken up of, I was wearing like 3% of it. And I just thought, Nope, I'm going to get this out of sight. I haven't gotten rid of it yet, but I just took everything out. And then I went shopping. I just said, Nope, I'm going to go buy some things to meet myself where I'm at that fit. I need jeans and work pants and I don't need to get a hundred things, but I need just like the core pieces. And it was amazing. I did it. I think twice I went and got a couple pairs of jeans, a couple pairs of black pants, you know, just some, some basics. And it, that was life-changing because going back into when I came back from maternity leave and then starting to go back in the office was awful. I would spend 45 minutes every night before I go in the office the next day, trying to figure out what to wear. And that's not the mental space I needed to be in. Well, no I know question. that there's this huge push in social media lately on like a, this is what your body looks like after having a baby. Mm-hmm. And you know, like nobody, you, you can't bounce back. Like they, all the models essentially. And so I feel like you, you do have to meet your body where you're at. And like, I know for me, the whole breastfeeding makes you lose all your baby weight was such a farce that I didn't really start to shed any type of extra weight until well, a year, at least after I was done breastfeeding. So I breastfed for six months. And then it was like a full year for my hormones to really get back to where I could lose weight. So if you think about a person who, you know, enjoys fashion and getting cute and dressing up periodically, you spend your day shoving yourself or your days shoving yourself into like the three, you know, pieces of clothing that quote unquote fit. It's awful. You might as well make an investment in your clothes so you feel good for that year and a half, two years, whatever. And then if you do plan on having more kids, you might end up using those clothes, those bigger clothes in the future. Or totally. you can take the bigger clothes and get them altered. Same. Totally everything same. can be altered down two sizes. Yep. yep. And to your point, Laura, it's buying the things. Like for me, it was like, okay, well, maybe I can just order a couple of things here. Well, I don't like those. So why am I trying to buy cheap jeans when I could just get the jeans that I want at the size that I'm at, you know, that's going to be much better. And I think it's having people around you, Laura, you've said to me more than once, like you're focusing on breastfeeding, you're focusing on this, you know, when I've said things like, Oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. Or, you know, I'm so exhausted. I'm not getting on the Peloton or this and that is that self-talk to of like, it's okay. These are all different chapters. That gives me great joy to hear that, that interaction and knowing that's there so much that you unpacked. And that is really important. Lisa always talks about quality over quantity thinking. The other thing I think your friends shared so many things with you that they wore. There's a group of women that you know, that are good friends, that there's a bin that goes around to who's ever pregnant, 
which to me is just wonderful, whether you use anything in that bin or not, just the fact that that is being shared. And like you said, Danielle, you might wear something three times. Totally. Yep. That speaks to just that ability to, to share what you have, you know, why keep it sitting in a bin? It's the same thing you do with kids clothes, right? I also think that, and I told this to my daughter is don't get all worked up about looking at your body. You know, the first six to eight months that you've had a baby and say, Oh my God, Oh my God, I hate this. I hate this. I don't like how I'm wearing in clothes. I, you just had a baby. You get, you, you have life. You have a, another person in your life. Your body will go back and just give it time. Have patience. I think Laura touched on this very well is that social media gives this very unhealthy uh, viewpoint of what you should look like after you have a baby, whether it's two weeks you know, six months, a year, and that even though social media exists or was started to connect people, I think it creates a lot of um, space for anxiety and comparison and lack of perspective sometimes. And so then you, you stare at yourself in this mirror of social media saying, well, I don't look like that, or that didn't happen to me, or why didn't it happen to me? And if you continue to follow that, you can end on a very bad cycle or path. Whereas if you look at it more as like, well, I'm really happy that my friend that I've never, haven't seen, you know, in two years, they just had a child that's amazing, or they got a new job or whatever, celebrating more of the the positives as opposed to comparing the, what you see as your negatives, I think is where we have to find our headspace. And it's really hard to do when you're isolated too. And I think to Lisa's point is that mindset shift also like for me was, and TJ, my husband helped with this also of, I just created a baby. That is so cool. And that is, that was his home. Now I'm feeding him, you know, all of those things. That's amazing. Versus oh my gosh, wow, I definitely don't look like I did before or my clothes don't fit or those negative things. And I think part of it too is to your point, mom, being able to talk to friends about it, to share about it. People can kind of give you the real talk and to have a little humor too. I was talking with a girlfriend and it was like, okay, first of all, there's nothing sexier than a new dad, you know, carrying the baby thing, wearing the diaper bag, all of that. It's true. There's nothing sexier than that. Meanwhile, we're over here like, wow, I'm wearing pads. My pants don't fit. My hair's falling out. I have bags under my eyes. Um, my, my, uh, my vision went bad. So now I'm wearing glasses again, all of these things. It's like, what the heck? And meanwhile, TJ's over here with like a little glow, which is, you know, you just kind of have to laugh about it. But that's so true. What you just said, mm-hmm. all of those yeah. things, all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let and me they're ask all you normal. Something. They're all normal. It's totally. like, yeah. They're, they're totally normal and definitely getting a perspective from your friends and, and your family, because obviously I'm going to see you as beautiful no matter when. But I also think it's interesting of your friends that have had babies and what do you see of them or of your friends that have made life changes or when you get together with those closest to you in life, you're not looking at them like, oh, I see some bags or I see this or I see that. You see the full person. You see your friend and that's the relationship you're going to have. So we're really the hardest on ourselves, are we not? Oh, 100%. Of course. Mm-hmm. Everybody is. I do think that once you have a child and it's not, this is nothing nothing against people who've never had children, but you have a different lens when you're a parent and it's not better or worse. It's just different. And what becomes, you know, what's important to you or what matters in that day or what you see when you look at the same space, it's just different. Really good point. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk about Rustica Bakery and Rustica Bakery is what helps you all. Uh, Yes. Can we be a part of the break? Because you know, I'm not a sweets person, but Rustica chocolate chip cookies are the best thing in the world. So we're leading into the break still. And, and you can talk all you want about how great Rustica Bakery is. You know that those are, I mean, I usually say no. You mean the double chocolate cookies or the chocolate chip? No, the chocolate chip cookies. Oh, I'm all over the double chocolate cookies and I don't even like chocolate, but those, I know there's so many things there. We'll take a break and be right back. On the view in your mirror podcast. We love sharing our personal favorites. Rustica Bakery is high on that list. And we know you're going to agree. Rustica has two locations. They're original at 3224 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, across from Calhoun Commons and Whole Food Market. And Southdale Center next to Lifetime, where you'll enter without even going into the mall. Both have ample parking, either online or in-store. Bread, breakfast, dessert, treats, a menu sure to allow you to find a personal favorite in no time. 
Online ordering is a breeze and curbside pickup is an option. Available in-store only are savory menu items. Think grab and go for lunch or enjoy them there. Brunch items are offered Friday through Sunday. My personal favorite is the take and bake cookies available online or in-store. Truly a capstone for any get together and in just 15 minutes from package to plate, a memory to make. We highly suggest you always have these in your freezer. RusticaBakery.com. Find the food and drink you adore or try something new. Rustica Bakery puts the love shown by their customers back into every item baked. At Rustica, you're among favorites. And we are back. We are having a lively and informative discussion with our daughters, my two daughters and Lisa's daughter, Shelby. And we do have to mention, I do have another daughter, Catherine, who wins the best aunt in the world award. True. 100%. She will have to give her her own podcast at some point as the best aunt in the world award. (laughs) And, uh, and I'm sure she'll come on and, and she'll wax poetically about her two nieces and nephews. She is one of those people that she's there for you when you need her. And I know she has been for you two girls, but probably she wouldn't want to sit through and have the conversation about growing boobs while pregnant. (laughs) Because she, she already was. grew them. Yes. I mean, she got, she was lucky. She, she took mine. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, and Laura's sorry, Laura for real. Yeah. Well, you, you know, they're, they're ever changing, aren't they? Tell me each of you, tell me one of the most surprising things about being pregnant, something that you didn't know or you didn't expect. Yeah. This is Laura. Uh, for me, I've always had a, what I feel like is a very healthy body image for myself but I felt the most comfortable with a big belly. Like I felt very attractive. I felt very sexy, but I felt just very comfortable looking at myself in the mirror with a huge gut. (laughs) There was a reason for that gut. (laughs) Well, there there was a reason for the gut, but, um, and obviously it wasn't a gut, it was a baby, but you know, with just a very large belly. That's fantastic. Shelby, how about you? Well, I I was going to say something similar as, you just, you look in the mirror and you realize what you're doing and how beautiful that process is. And also how crazy it is that some, that you can grow another human. As much as I make humor about it, I had no idea that my boobs could get bigger than they already were. And truly like on a weekly basis, I was growing more and I just didn't know how to process all of that. And it still is a bothersome situation, but (laughs) I can now somewhat relate to Laura in that like when they deflate from milk from milk, then I'm like, oh, this is what we're this is where we're headed now. This is this just interesting. Danielle, how about you? I'm laughing over here because you two are talking about like the beauty of growing a baby and feeling sexy. And the first thing that popped into my head was hemorrhoids. Oh my god. Oh. I can Anyways. relate to that. I had a serious problem with that. And that was my biggest surprise. And I still remember it 31 years later. Yes. Hemorrhoids. And that my vision went bad. That was very surprising. I didn't know that that could be a thing. And when I went in, they were like, that's very common because of your hormones, your vision can change. Maybe they'll go back. I had LASIK. They were more than perfect. And now I wear glasses full time. I just went to the eye doctor a couple of weeks ago and I'm now like legally blind without correction. Yeah. And I was like, cool. One more thing that this yeah. did to me. I know. I mean, worth it, but holy smoke. A hundred percent worth it. I'll wear glasses the rest of my life if I have to, but exactly. I was shocked. So I do have two things. One's a positive. I used to have chronic hives when I was yeah. younger that showed up when I was 18 years old, just very randomly, acutely, and then became chronic. They disappeared with pregnancy, which was awesome. But the non-awesome thing is the addition of hair on my body in places that I feel like I shouldn't have hair. And I'm going to leave it at that because (laughs) I'll have people who don't need to know where. (laughs) But that is something I would never expect to happen. I really hate to tell you this, Laura, but that doesn't go away. That keeps getting worse. That's hormones too. Well, you have laser hair removal now. Thank goodness. (laughs) Thank goodness. Also, I was waxing and... Yeah. Yes. Laura, when you said this is Laura, I, we didn't talk about the fact that we sound alike. Hopefully it's different enough for the oh, podcast. That's true. I think you sound different enough. Okay. Do you? Okay. Mm-hmm. I think you do. And probably the, the content of what we're talking about in terms of pregnancy during COVID and whatnot might help, but it, it certainly is, is nice if you want to say who you are before you start talking. Cause 
that helps as well. Talk about the idea that you can do it all. So you now have children, you have spouses, you have full-time jobs. You may or may not still have somewhat of a social life in light of what COVID is doing, right? What's changed? What gets, what gets left behind? I think the realization that you realize you can't do it all. At least that was for me. I mean, I know I just jumped right in, but I w- I'm like a goer, a doer. I get it done. Like the more on my plate, the more I can get done. But I had to flip that once I had kids and a husband and a house to realize like, I cannot do it all. I need to ask for help and it's okay for my to-do list to move over to tomorrow and not have all the check marks be done. I need to piggyback on that because I'm learning to admit all of that seven months in. Um, I'm similar to you where I'm very much a like goer, a doer, a task-oriented person and like to accomplish everything I possibly can in a day. And I'm not good at asking for help to do that. And it really took a toll on me the first six months add sleep deprivation on top of that. And you become someone you don't necessarily recognize anymore. And it was really, really emotional. And to this day still is. And I think had we done this podcast when we were originally planning to do it, you know, a few months ago, I don't know if I would have gotten through the podcast, but admitting that you can't, and it is okay that you can't do it all. It's really important. Otherwise you are going to fall apart. And you have a few times and you're learning. Oh, oh thanks mom. <laughs> But that's the truth. And I, and I talk to my daughter about that a lot. It's like, it's okay to do that because when you do that, you're going to learn something from it and you're going to keep moving on. And I think that's really important. Yeah. I think you learn that it is okay that the laundry gets done tomorrow or that a dish sits in the sink for a little bit longer. Or that you eat out every night. (laughs) If it, you know, if it helps. Yeah. Agree to all of the above. And Shelby and I are really close to it still, you know, like we're still, I don't want to speak for you, but we're still in survival mode learning. for sure. Yeah. And learning. And I think to Laura's point, you can't do it all. You can't have it all. You have to prioritize. Sometimes that's easier said than done. Often that's easier said than done. I'm like both of these women and I want to get my to-do list done and I don't want to just get it done. It needs to be 110%. Like it needs to be an A plus on the day or I'm not happy with how things went, you know, like, I don't want to just accomplish the tasks. I want to do them really well. And I think I have been working on that. Okay. It doesn't have to be perfection in every aspect. That's really unrealistic. So figuring that out and like to your point, Laura, eating out every day, we freshly is a meal service where it's literally microwave meals and TJ and I survived on those for the first, I think I just canceled it three weeks ago, truly. Cause it was like, we don't have time to cook and to eat how we want to eat and all of those things. And you know, it's finding, finding help where you can. I'm not good at asking for help and I'm not good at saying, Hey, I need a break. I think a good example is I commented on this. Oren is home from daycare this week and I haven't taken time off work yet. And TJ hasn't either. And we're trying to balance and mom is helping tomorrow and Friday, but I'm still not good at saying, Hey, I need to just be offline today. So I think it's probably always an evolution. And, a and I think situation. to your point that you were mentioning earlier, of this like blend of work life that Mm -hmm. you're now being able to do it also, that's the con to it, right? Is like, when do you stop and say, I need a pause. I I can't do all this right now. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas when you were in the office, that was never really an option. You had to take the day off. You couldn't make it work. That's very true. The difference between working through COVID and now, I think there is more understanding. You talked about this a little bit earlier, Danielle, there is more understanding if you have to bring your child on to a Zoom call, I mean, we've all seen some of those funny things with the kids in the background showing up and <laughs> various. And, and I think that has changed things a lot. But I also think knowing when to go offline and say, nope, that's it, close the door to of the office and there's other things to do. If you know there's just that one more thing you can get done. And I think being very much a, a high achiever, as you all are, not doing your best at something looks for a lot of people, that is their best. In other words, you have such high expectations of how you get things done. So you almost need to temper your expectations. Realistically, if you think about it, you can't add in being a parent to all the other things you were doing, right? There's still the only the 24 hours in a day that you have. So it's adjusting 
your expectations for yourself too. And I think it's learning. Like for me, I was always able to say, okay, I am just going to stay logged on for, or stay at the office or get this done so that I can feel accomplished. And then now being a parent, you just can't do that. You know, it's, it's nice to have that force. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stay online till 7 PM. I'm going to go hang out with my son, but it's shifting that mindset where I was operating one way for my whole career. And now I'm operating a different way and it's harder on me than it is on other people. And I think just being really trying to be really transparent and vulnerable with people to say, Hey, I'm struggling with this or, you know, to say, Hey, my kid's home. Hey, this, Hey, that, Hey, I'm trying this new boundary people are very receptive to it. And a lot of people have been there before and they totally understand. I think sometimes you're not met with grace and understanding, but oftentimes you are people saying, okay, yeah, totally get it. Do what you need to do. How can I help you? On the flip side too, I mean, we're all career driven women that, I mean, for me, it was almost more, I needed to learn how to ask for help in my partnership. You know, I don't always have to be the one to fold the laundry and that's not how our relationship ever has been, but there, there are things that you just put on yourself that you feel like you have to do. And then it's like, wait, why, (laughs) you know, um, I don't always have to be the one to cook dinner kind of a thing so that you can still make those career advancements, but things aren't dropped at home either, you know, because we're fortunate enough to be in a marriage and there are two people that are here. TJ never did laundry before I had to go on bed rest before I had Oren. And then he had to do laundry because it was in the basement. And it was like, why did I wouldn't let him do laundry before? That's the stupidest thing. Ever. Well, I didn't want things ruined, but it was like, yes, to your point, Laura, this is a partnership. Why did I not, why am I not asking for this help earlier? Don't you think that is also one of the things that happens after you have for sure your first child is having that conversation with your partner, deciding what people are going to do, like, what are you going to do in the house? What is he going to do in the house? So that it's more of a partnership, because when you didn't have kids, you might have done laundry because you would never think to have him do laundry, or you probably went to the grocery store, but now maybe he has to go to the grocery store. And that's a conversation that maybe you didn't think was going to come up that fast. We, um, I know my husband and I had a, uh, not a traditional start to our relationship. We moved very quickly and we actually got married very quickly and then never lived together, got pregnant, moved in together and then have had a baby. So we were quick. So we didn't have those types of conversations. So I can see where um, if people were living together prior to either being married or having kids, maybe those conversations would need to be had. But for us, it was very equal. Just like if I'm exhausted, he did the laundry kind of a thing, which is a testament to how much I love him. Um, Because (laughs) I mean, I couldn't imagine having those conversations how, like how difficult they would be just to ask for help in those areas. You know, I think it is still interesting. We had uh, Elizabeth Reese on as a guest and Elizabeth is a busy mom to three kids and the co-host of Twin Cities Live on Channel 5. And she talks about the leader of the discussion of the equitable split in workloads further. And it seems that it is still on the woman in the relationship to spearhead those conversations. The joke is still that, I mean, your dad does laundry now, but the joke was at the beginning is I asked him to do some laundry and he washed a wool sweater that I could never wear again. I think you kids were little and you probably could have worn it. And so I think I said at that point, you're never doing laundry again. And I think he went, oh, my ploy, my ploy worked, you know, and the cooking and all of that. And that comes along as, as we've gone along. But I think that still is, led by the female in the discussion. Although Laura, it sounds like you and Keenan, there's just sort of been whatever needs to be done is done. You're both kind of aligned in your organizational thought processes in your house. And well, and you know, some of that might be, you know, we had a little bit again, untraditional, my husband stayed home for a full year with both of our children. So I was out working and he was home. So a lot of the first year child rearing all that was my husband. He did that because those are kind of the stay at home parent responsibilities. And so maybe that is why now it's far more shared and a little bit more natural instead of requiring a conversation to keep it equitable. I want to touch on something we're, we're, we're pushing. I think we're pushing an hour. I know. <laughs> we're we need pushing. another podcast. 
we need another podcast. And I hope you guys agree to come back on again, because I just, the, the information that you can share and is just fantastic. And again, we, we just are, well, super proud of all of you. With that, I'm going to ask about sex. <laughs> that <laughs> was a transition, great, right? Our, our la- last question, right, Katie? Yeah, maybe the last question. I don't know. There's, you know, we talked about balance of work, lack of sleep, all of that, but we really haven't touched on this. And I think it's, it's something worth talking about if you're willing to talk about how you, how you bring that back. I mean, obviously sex is how that baby came into existence in most cases. That's true. Not Not always. That's right. In most cases, but But in our case. In all of your cases, you know, as an adopted person, there's a lot of different ways to have a baby, but in all of your cases, I think it probably happened in the traditional sense of the word. So how do you get back to that, that intimate relationship? Maybe it never left. I don't know, but realistically, I think with open, honest conversations about how you're feeling and uh, whether you want to engage in any activity in this moment or in the future. I mean, we, ha- my husband and I have had a lot of conversations about it just because it ebbs and flows. I feel like for exhaustion levels, do the kids sleep? Do they not? Cause if they don't sleep, I'm exhausted. And the last thing I want to do is to be having sex with you, unless you can get it done in like 30 seconds, <laughs> then I can roll over and go to sleep. <laughs> but I think it's an ongoing conversation. I agree with that. Very real conversations. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, for us, it's been definitely talking about it just to take you on a very short journey. I know we're (laughs) pushing up against time, but we, so we had some issues. Our fertility journey wasn't super linear. And so we went from thinking like, oh, it'll just happen. And then it did to, wow, now there's kind of issues. And our first kind of step was the recommendation to just have sex every two to three days. And then we will probably hit when I'm ovulating, which at the beginning is like, oh, that's kind of fun. You know, let's do that. And then as time goes on, having sex every other day isn't fun or wasn't for us. Then it was truly how quick can we get this done? Then we went through some fertility treatment. So it was kind of this, like, we're doing it all the time. Okay. Now don't do it because you have to be very prescriptive on when you're going to have sex and when you're going to time it based on all of these other things. Then we did IUI. So we did all of these things. Then we got to a point where then I was pregnant. It was amazing by a miracle. We did get pregnant just having sex. And then I was super sick. (laughs) Then I wasn't sick. Then we were ready to be having sex again. Then we were, which that's a conversation also because we were being very careful. I think it freaks out a lot of people. And then I was put on bed rest and pelvic rest. So then no sex. So I'm taking you on this journey because it's so different. Like each snapshot of our relationship, just in the span of a couple of years is very different. How we were being intimate or wanting to be maybe what we wanted was different from what we actually had to do to try to build our family. I had expected after having Oren to not be really into having sex. However, we were told we couldn't for a very long time. And then I had a C-section. So mom, I think I remember saying to you like, well, nothing happened to my vagina. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that on this podcast, but it was, we were like, I got cleared and then we were good to go, which was not what I had anticipated. Had you asked me, I would have been like, that'll be the last thing on my mind. I'm exhausted. I feel gross. I'm sweaty, night sweats, all of that. But it was like, I got cleared. I think we had sex three hours later. Um, I mean, it was a lot of pent up, you know, there was some stuff pent up. More power to you. I was like, yeah. are you sure I'm ready? Are right. you sure? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's just, it's so different. And, you know, like it also ebbs and flows with the sleep and all of that. You know, we feel even closer now, which is weird. And I'm sure it'll change again, you know, as, as time goes on. So that was probably way too much information. But I think it's a little crazy to think about all the ebbs and flows and the just weirdness that goes into it. What I love is that it's as different as each relationship is. Mm-hmm. And the conversation and being open, Laura, you said it being open and having those conversations really about everything is what's going to keep you going forward. You know, one thing I'll share too, just again, because it's stuff that isn't talked about. I remember a couple points, but I remember at one point bawling with TJ saying, we're never going to have sex because we want to again, just because it was so prescriptive on when we were doing it. And just in the moment, truly feeling like, wow, this is this is transactional, like this is scientific. And that's all we're doing. And just I felt devastated about it and thinking we're never going to get to a place where we want to have sex with each other again, which sucks. I mean, we got there, but in the moment, dire. Sounds like quickly. I, just, um, I don't know. <laughs> I about mean, that you, was Laura. like a year. <laughs> I don't know about you, Laura. Um, did you have a C-section as well? 
No, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I didn't either. And so I was getting to like the end of my pregnancy and was really uncomfortable and was like, how can I make this happen? Like we need to get this baby out. Yes. And, you know, you can look up all these different wives tales online or what have you. And the only thing that like everyone consistently said, including my doctor was like, you need to have sex. And I was like, cool, I can do that. If you tell me to do that, I can do that. Uh, If it will get the baby out. And I just remember coming home from that doctor's appointment. And I was like, Ben, tonight's the night (laughs) getting this baby out. And he was like, we're what? And I was like, we need to do this. This baby needs to come out now. And he was like, well, you make it sound so like matter of fact, like I, I'm like, yes, that's what it is. We just need to come out. I don't care how it happens. Like just figure it out. Just like make it happen. And it did not work. Oh, um, mine worked. <laughs> which was very disappointing, but that's for another time. And then I remember going back on my six week visit and getting the go ahead to like return to intimacy in that way. And I was like, you want me to what? And I was like, I just feel like all the parts haven't come back together yet. And, um, and she was like, well, all I recommend is get a bottle of wine, get the child out of the room and you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) You follow direction, Shelby. (laughs) I'm very good at directions. You're a rule follower. (laughs) I am a rule follower. Have been since the day I came out. Oh, that's fantastic. I can attest to that. Well, I cannot thank you all enough for this. Before we go, you know that we do this on most every podcast. We highlight a nonprofit. And Shelby, we're highlighting a nonprofit that actually you really got going when you were in college at Madison. So talk about Kesem. So Camp Kesem is a nonprofit organization that spans across uh, college universities at large with the intent of providing a safe space for kids who have been affected by cancer. Every child that attends Camp Kesem has had a parent who has had cancer or is currently battling cancer. And it provides a week of free summer camp for any child who's been through this experience to be with other kids who have gone through something similar so they are not alone. The incredible part of it that adds magic to it, which is what Kesem means, is that the entire organization is started, run, and executed by college students. Um, with no, with more adult advice, advisory, as opposed to involvement, if that makes sense. It does. And you think of the life skills that come out for people like you, and you've obviously carried that long past college. Do you still keep in touch because you're not able to really be involved in it per se, right? That's correct. So I do stay in touch. I am a giver uh, to Camp Kesem every year, and I do stay in touch both at the local level of the Madison chapter that I helped to start up in 2009, and then have helped in advisory role positions at various universities across the country. And now there are over 100 camps available for children. So you should be able to access a camp in any state or any city if you know someone who's been affected by cancer and has children, or you yourself have children and are affected by cancer. Thank you, Shelby. And for more information, it is kesem.org. K-E-S-E-M.org. K-E-S-E-M as in Mary. Kesem.org if you want more information or to donate. Ladies, once again, high achievers, great discussion and great information. Can't thank you enough. Lisa? It was fabulous, wonderful. I loved listening to all of you. And I say to be continued. We need to have podcast number two with our daughters. I think so too. Checking in. It's, it might have to be, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about how often it needs to be, but it was fantastic. We cannot, cannot thank you enough, especially taking time away from those new babies. Maybe the next time that we have the podcast, Danielle and Shelby's baby will just be babbling, but Laura's kids could come on and just say a few things. You know, Laura's kids have already been on podcasts. They've both been on Bob Sansevier's podcast many times (laughs) because when I used to take care of them, I'd take them to the podcast with me when they were really little and we we could get that, you know, hour in before. So uh, yeah, that would be fun to have them actually, actually speaking. Yes. We'll watch, see. Watch them grow up. For sure. Well, we get the benefit of that. Ladies, thank you. Lisa, I know if people want to reach out to you. Lisa at wardrobeconsulting.net. And I am Katie at katieharms.com. We are also at theviewinyourmirror.com. We thank you so much for listening. And I am looking at 
four beautiful women in my Zoom screen, and I know that they have fabulous five beautiful women. I'm looking at oh, I guess I'm looking at myself because I am looking at myself. Thank you, Laura. I'm looking at all of us, and our intent is to have fabulous views in the mirror so we can put that out into the world. And I know that you guys absolutely do that. So thank you again for being with us. Thanks for having us. Go empty those boobs, ladies. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.